Welcome back to another episode of Seeing Life from a Different Angle. I thought today I would talk about the story of the backpack, the metaphor of the backpack. This is something that I would talk about with some of my patients when they were struggling with trying to figure out what type of therapy they should pursue. The type of approach I took and take is psychoanalytic. And so, you know, having started reading Freud when I was 13 years old, I've always been fascinated by the mind and the way that it works. And so one of the things that we would speak about is in terms of thinking about what types of therapy you would want to pursue is the story or the metaphor of the backpack. So what I thought we would do is to talk about the story and from there see a little deeper level what really is going on within us and hopefully as the podcast talks about seeing it from a different angle. All of us begin life with an empty backpack. And our parents, or the people that who, who raise us, they put things in our backpack. Things that they think, in their best judgment, are going to be best for us. Things that they think will support us and take care of us throughout life. Some of the things they put in there are healthy for us. They teach us principles of justice and morality, kindness to others. The things that C.S. Lewis talked about as being part of the Tao. And so they put these things in our backpack. Some of them, as I say, are healthy, but others are not. Others are going to have a sadly negative effect upon us. Though it's not something that they intended to do. I don't believe that's the case. After everything is said and done, this is a side note, I really don't believe at the core human beings are a dark people or a dark species. I think at the core, every one of us is, as we've talked about, a child in adult's clothing looking for one thing, which is to be loved. Time, experience, the world, for want of a better way to put it, makes us dark, turns us away from the light but in the beginning of life, when we have this empty backpack and our parents are putting things into the backpack, I don't believe they're looking at things that are negative and saying, oh, okay, you know, I just want to throw these things in there too. They're doing what they think is best. May not always work, but they're doing what they think is best from their state of mind, their myopic reality. Because we got to remember that they're ruled by fear as well, and they're ruled by their pathology as well. Hopefully it's not too deep. Hopefully it's not too intense. But one way or another, they're ruled by it as we will come to be. One of the things that they end up putting in the backpack, unfortunately, is things that they would rather not carry. And so sometimes we're left with remnants of the conflicts of their lives that they put in our backpacks for us. And along in time, come other people who will put other things in our backpack. Things that they would like to get rid of themselves or things that they would like to give to us. Our friends, our grandparents, our neighbors, our loved ones, people that matter to us, teachers. And so other things get added to our backpack. And so we travel through life and we live, we function, sometimes healthier than others, but we function. There gets to be a point in time, though, 
And I think this is true for all of us, whether we like to believe it or not, whether we recognize it or not, that there gets to be a point where each of us gets burdened by the things that are in our backpack. And so we struggle to trudge another step, to take another opportunity to move forward in our lives. And so what do we do? We have three options that I can see. One is that we keep trying to trudge along, assuming that everything is going to be okay eventually. The other options are to take a right or to take a left. So let's assume we take a right. And in our metaphor, taking a right brings us to guidance or therapy that says to us, okay, one, your life isn't going to get dramatically better. Your thinking is wrong. Your viewpoint on the world is wrong. So here are some different ways to look at life. Here are some techniques to look at life in a particular way or to change your perspective. But don't forget, your life is not going to get dramatically better. And to me, there's nothing more inhumane than to say to a human being, your life is as it is and it will never get any better for you. It's cruel and unkind. And so the other option is to take a right. And so we take this right. And in taking this right, we find ourselves in a situation, whether it's with help or with therapy or both, hopefully, you know, where the individual says to us, okay, life can be better for you. There is possibility for you. And in order to get to that place, what we have to do is do the most difficult thing of all, which is to really look in your backpack and to examine the things that are there to try to understand what it is that has been packed away for us, what it is that is healthy and what it is that is not, what it is that will bring us forward in non-pathological ways and what will be pathological and drive our lives in incredibly unhealthy directions. The difficulty with this choice, of course, we experience right up front, which is that we become afraid we have lived by these rules, by this path, all of our lives. You can envision it almost this way, is that when you are a little girl or a little boy, your parents take you by the hand and they start walking you down this path. And the path is the path that they're familiar with, part of their myopic reality. And they teach you to stay on this path. They say to you, as their little girl, daughter or their little son, they say, this is the path of life and this is the way you need to go. They're helping us, quote unquote, but they in turn are really driving us to a more myopic reality than is healthy for us. But we have no idea of this. We're just doing what it is that we're told. We're guiding, being guided in our life by people that we have complete faith in, in one level or another. And so they take our hands and they walk us down this path. But what we begin to notice is that we keep passing the same trees. You know, the path in and of itself is not a straight one. It's an oval. It's like running on a track. We're going around the same corners over and over and over again, never really finding ourselves seeing anything new or interesting. It's one of the reasons why when I was in high school, I hated running track, but I love running cross country. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't love to run by any stretch of the imagination, but I will say that I'd much rather run cross-country because at least you're seeing something instead of seeing the same things over and over and over again. 
And so being raised on that path, it's rather fear provoking for us to and anxiety provoking for us to challenge that and to say, well, wait a minute, there's a path over there. What if I took that path? What if I took a sharp right, worked my way through the underbrush to get to this new path in my life? This path where knocking down the fence of this myopic reality, stepping outside of this oval track that I have lived on all of my life. I can see more. I can see things differently. That's a frightening thought. I mean, you think about the number of times in your life when you said, you know, I'm not going to try this because I don't want to. There's something about this that makes me uncomfortable, so therefore I'm not going to try it. You know, I was chastised in a playful sort of way yesterday for how rigid I can be around making the choice to drink a smoothie. I've never had one in my whole life, and there's a part of me that's just like, I don't like the idea of it, so therefore I'm not going to have one. And how silly that really is after everything is said and done. Because why not try something different? So in this circumstance, when someone approaches therapy, seeking help, you know, they're looking with the eyes of, okay, I'm, is this going to be something that's going to be painful for me? Is this something that's going to be fear provoking and anxiety provoking for me? And yes, the answer is yes, it will always be painful. It will always be fear provoking. It's pointless foolish and unwise to not tell you that that's the case. But I do believe that in the process of beginning to unpack this backpack, we find ourselves less and less and less afraid. I'll explain. I think what ends up happening is much like anything else. We experience this degree of trepidation, this degree of fear of looking at our backpack and being told that some of the things that we have lived by are not things that are truly healthy for us. And so we have to muster what Theodore Reich calls moral courage to be able to look into this backpack and to be able to say, no matter what it is that it evokes in me, I believe that I am in good hands with this person who is here with me, who is here for me. And I believe that this person will help me through this. And so we begin to take the things out of the backpack one at a time and to explore where did this come from? What is this about? Why does it stay with you? What has it done for you? And each thing then gets assessed. Should this belong in your backpack or stay in your backpack? Or should we take this out of your backpack and keep it out of your backpack? And ultimately, everything in the long run, if we can do so, if the person can maintain the courage, if the therapist can be focused enough, everything can be taken out of that backpack. Everything can be explored. And therefore, the decision to put everything back in the backpack is something that the individual who comes to therapy, the individual who's looking for a healthier life, the individual who's tired of trudging along, everything that's taken out is put back into the backpack because it's healthy for that person. I think a lot of it has to do with this concept that we struggle, as we have talked about, we struggle with this perpetual state of fear. It's an overpowering thing. And yet, at the long run, it really isn't as overpowering as we give it the strength to be or the belief to be. 
because there is one force that after everything is said and done if it's done right and if it's done in a healthy way if it truly is healthy that there is one force that can challenge it and challenge it over and over again because even while fear is more powerful than love love can if given in the right ways and healthy ways can be a force that can challenge fear on a perpetual basis and I think that that's a part of going through one's backpack is to be able to believe this person is here with me this person values me as Freud talked about analysis is a cure through love and what he meant by that was I am here for you your needs matter to me what it is your ego needs what it is you need at a deeper level is here and I am offering it to you I do think however that we run short when we just take life and love from that particular angle because love is about a true deep and passionate connection with someone that we in the long run believe in and know will be there for us through thick and through thin and while help is there and while therapy is there it's also short-term no matter how long you're in therapy whether it's three sessions or six years you know it's still short-term because we have to live in the real world and so I think love can exist in a measure within the therapy process but it can exist as it can later in real life with the people that are there for us long term it's like we talked about a couple podcasts ago with a patient of mine who struggled with his doubt about God and whether God still thought about him at all and I had said at the time in that podcast that as I did with him perhaps it is not God that has turned his back on you God is still looking at you with love you know I'm reading this book and it's called the last hours of Christ and it was written by a Catholic priest back in the early 1900s and he's talking about the period of time when Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane and in this chapter he talks about the agony that Christ goes through and the deep despair and the deep sadness and the fear and I think in so many ways as a Christian and as Christians I think we struggle with the notion that here is this loving and divine being how could he be afraid but the truth of it is we must also remember that he was a human being and like all of us fear is a powerful force but as I was reading this chapter I was struck by the fact that his time went on his prayers went on the three times that he returned to pray by himself to spend time with God the third time it was resolved the fear was gone his mission his will was made up he was going to do what it is that God willed for him to do because love overpowered the fear and it's a love that is eternal not a love that is temporal and in the sense that it is here today and will not be here for us every day none of us will live, live forever none of us can say we are heaven here on earth 
Each of us has pathology. Each of us has struggles. Each of us has things in our backpack that make us unhealthy, that we struggle to deal with, that we fear to look at. And so when we think about the choices that we have in terms of going to get this type of help, we have to keep in mind that we must seek out a deeper sense of love. And part of the thing that gets in our way is all the stuff, all the crap that's in our backpack, all the things that have been put there that others thought were healthy for us or didn't think were healthy for us, the hurts, the pains, the traumas, as well as the nurturing and caring. All of these things must be looked at and worked through if we're to find ourselves in a healthier place. Because in the long run, the goal is this. We want to be able to put the things back in the backpack that are healthy for us. And then to walk on, to stop trudging through life, but to really walk on in a way that is nurturing for us, that is healthy for us, where we can find the things that we are destined to find. You know, we have talked so many times about the fence that surrounds us, this seven-foot fence that contains us and holds us in place. And we've talked about the concept of love and how love requires that we not only think about ourselves, but that we think about the other. That we are not just men of the stomach or men of the head, but we are men of the chest who can say, you know, I see myself and I value the things that I see. I value my thoughts and I value my feelings, but I also value the thoughts and feelings of another. I can't do that completely or in any healthy way if I'm stuck inside my myopic reality, inside of my fence. If I'm in there, I'm trapped. Love doesn't exist inside of my fence. It can only exist when I start recognizing that there is a world outside of my fence. And when I take the courage to go in a place to get the help that I need to empty my backpack, do I begin to realize that there is a world outside there. And it's a reunion of sorts. It's the child inside of me is reunited with that wide open reality. You know, what it is that it's longed for all of its life to return to. And what a fantastic feeling that is to be able to say, you know, I see what it is that has always been there that I just couldn't see because I let fear run my life. I let fear rule my life. And when we think about that image again of that patient of mine who turned his back on God because he was so focused on other things, one of the factors that is apparent in his turning away and in his staying turned away was how dreadfully afraid he was of so many things in his life. So many things he felt like he must accomplish before he could move on with his life. And every one of them held him still. And every one of them was a part of that myopic reality that he lived in. And so really it was only and can only be when we begin to turn around and to recognize where it is we came from, that we are a part of the body of God, the part of the body of Christ that says, you are one with me and I am one with you. I preach it all the time and I apologize because I know it sounds probably like I am preaching, but I say it a great deal, which is that, you know, mankind is our business. That fellow who's walking down the street who has no shoes, 
he's our brother. You know, why are we not giving him our shoes? Why are we not helping him out? We all make these New Year's resolutions. Well, not all of us, but we make New Year's resolutions that I'm going to focus on this this year and that this year. But how many times when we make these resolutions do we think, what am I going to do for my fellow man this year? What am I going to do to be a better person, a better Christian, a better follower of Christ, of God? What am I going to do? Because we're so wrapped in that subjective perspective of ourselves, in that myopic reality inside that fence, that we don't recognize the needs of others. And it's only in emptying our backpack that we can begin to really recognize not just ourselves, but others. You know, others have always existed there, but we always see them through our own eyes and our own perspective. We always see them from this very subjective view of what role does this person fill in my life? What do they do for me? What don't they do for me? What can I get from them? What are they going to give to me today? You know, what do I have to give to them? And what's the consequence of that going to be for me? And that's not a place of love. Because as we talked about, love requires four things. And of those four things, the second of those things is that we want to be able to meet the needs of others. Not just have our own needs met, which is the first, but to meet the needs of others. Every one of us has needs. Every one of us has longings. Every one of us has a backpack. And it's only when we empty that backpack and we look honestly at ourselves and then honestly look at the world, not as we need it to be, as we long for it to be, as we demand that it be, but how it truly genuinely is and how human beings are in that space, then and only then do we begin to see that love can exist, that my eyes can be turned back to what it was that existed from the very beginning. The love of a mother toward her children, the love of a father toward his children, the love of God for us. None of it is easy. And yet it is the most important and significant thing we will ever do in our whole lives. We will all live lives where we will move through and we will live, we will work, we will struggle, we will laugh, we will enjoy the Christmases and the New Year's or we won't. We'll have happy birthdays, parties and celebrations or we won't. But one way or another, we're all going to head towards death. And the question is this. When I die, or before I die, will I be able to look at my life and say to myself, and will I believe in all honesty that I have loved my neighbor, that I have done what it is I could do for another person? Or have I only focused on what it is that I needed to do in order to take care of myself? It's a difficult question to ask of ourselves because we would love to believe that we are such good people. And it doesn't mean that there isn't in us a good person. That person is there. That person is that child in adult's clothing. But we have to empty the backpack if we're going to see who that person is and let that person be someone that is connected with others, that loves, cares about, and nurtures other people. And so the question is this, you know, in the long run, do we allow ourselves to see others, to see what they need, to 
try to do what we can to be there for our brothers and for our sisters. The only way to do it is to empty your backpack. I wish you well.